Coming up, the Land Pavilion. Welcome to the CWDW Near and Far podcast, where we explore perspectives of the Walt Disney World Resort from 10 to 1,000 miles away. I am Mike the Far in this equation. And I'm John the Near. All right, today we are going to discuss the Land Pavilion. We're not really going to get into like major details like some of our other podcasts. We're going to try and hurry this along because we kind of got a late start. But, uh,. <clears throat> We're just going to go over a little bit of the brief history and how, uh, pardon me, Walt's uh, original vision for Epcot kind of influenced this uh, pavilion and uh, just talk a little bit about some of our experiences with the pavilion. So, uh, all right, um, let's talk a little bit about the concept and creation. Um, the original concept for the land pavilion was deeply rooted in Walt Disney's vision, Walt Disney, the man's vision for Epcot, which was initially conceived as a real futuristic story where people would live and work. The land pavilion was a central component of this vision. The concept was to showcase and educate visitors about the latest advancements in agriculture and environmental technology. It aimed to demonstrate sustainable and innovative agricultural practices for the future. The pavilion was designed to be immersive, educational, and offering a glimpse into the future of farming, horticulture, and environmental stewardship. Basically, John uh, Walt wanted to create an agricultural vision with um, his actual Epcot city. And uh, the part of that vision was what is what are the challenges like the big challenges with creating food production and things like that. And Walt, as part of his core ideas, he wanted to partner with farmers and scientists to come up with um, environmentally friendly ways and and sustainable ways to um, to create the f- enough food to um, fuel these cities. So that was a big part of the core idea of Epcot. That was his agricultural component. His his dream was what we see in the greenhouses today, partially. He wanted to use things like hydroponics and, and, and things of that nature. And so that is where the pavilion itself really heavily borrows from Walt's original vision. Yeah, I was going to mention too, <clears throat> I was at the uh, retro WDW convention a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, the land came up in part of that too. And I think, was it craft? Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the stuff has to do with the sponsors with things like this too, like with yes. what being what, but, but yeah, I'm pretty sure craft uh, had some say on how things where where how the focus was on this well eventually and craft um some of the early uh 
parts of the pavilion the early attractions let's say um you know so let's let's talk a little bit about what the early attractions were right they were kitchen cabaret um a film called symbiosis um which was a, a film about the interconnectedness of all living things and the importance of environmental stewardship that was early on that was at the opening in 1982 um, and then listen to the land, which we now know as living with the land, but it was, it was slightly different back then. Um, and then they had the restaurant that we know as sunshine seasons. It, it, it was called, um, the good turn restaurant. And in that restaurant, you know, that was how it was really heavily advertised was they took out of the greenhouses and that's all the uh, fruits and vegetables came from the greenhouses in that um, original restaurant. Um, you you said about craft, like I believe Kitchen Cabaret was um, originally it was either Nestle or Kraft. It was it was one of the early were were the early sponsors, I believe. So um, you're right; they had a heavy influence on what was pushed to the audience and in kitchen cabaret um you saw a lot of advertising of of the partners that were you know the various partners that were connected to the pavilion and they did have a big influence on you know what was shown yeah i just wanted to point out that that, that, that this is from a recent meal i had there but it still says right on the sign as you go in featuring produce grown in our living with the land greenhouses. So it's not exclusively, but you know, it's the closest restaurant to it. So you're more likely to, uh, to get, to get, uh, stuff there. Yeah. I believe there's also a restaurant in animal kingdom that uses, um, some of the stuff that's grown in the greenhouses as well. Um, so that was kind of the dream of this pavilion, the sustainability part of it. You know, um, one of the original visions of the uh, pavilion itself was to be able to be a turnkey solution for some of the, you know, f- feeding the theme park community. Um, you know, again, they heavily borrowed from that original vision that Walt had. Um, so you know when you talk about kitchen cabaret that we talked about with the sponsorship that was a musical featuring anthropomorphic food items that taught nutrition in a fun and entertaining way it was part of the pavilion's educational approach to healthy living the reality is it was an advertisement for their sponsors but it was done in a very clever way um eventually this turned into food rocks which you know is the where the song veggie veggie fruit fruit and all those things came from i was gonna say i actually did see food rocks when i went there in 1998 i think i rode living with the land and i saw food rocks i remember the tone loke raisin or something like yeah. that name and again i was an adult that knew nothing about disney and i was like this is the weirdest place ever <laughs> like i just rode through a boat ride through scenes of stuff and it's like and that's back when the land had a narrator like a a guide on each boat who would sit in the front and talk to you so 
Yeah, you're you're right about that, and I I remember that too. That that um, evolution of the ride. Uh, we said about Food Rocks that changed in 1994. So the original Kitchen Cabaret show, which featured the uh, food items teaching nutrition, it was replaced by Food Rocks, and the updated attraction continued to teach nutrition concepts, but in a more rock and roll style, and and it just used updated music of the day. You know, like you said, Tone Loke. I remember that Tone Loke uh, character as well. That was, you know, I, I just thought that was cool. I thought the song uh, was pretty catchy, honestly. Even yeah. if I hear it today, because the Tone Loke's other song that he was famous for is still catchy. So it was just like a parody of that. So fit perfect. Yep. Yeah. And um, so Symbiosis, the movie, uh, eventually changed to that, which was the original movie, uh, became Circle of Life, which is what most people are familiar with being in the Land Pavilion. Um, but Circle of Life, that happened in 1995. Uh, the original film Symbiosis, which featured more on environmental themes, was replaced by Circle of Life and Environmental Fable, which featured the Lion King characters and continued to promote environmental awareness. Uh, Listen to the Land to Living with the Land happened in 1993. So you kind of see a pattern. They did a refresh about 10 years, 10 to 15 years after the original opening. Um, Listen to the Land became Living with the Land, and the original boat ride was updated to become Living with the Land while it retained some of the elements of the original attraction. It placed a stronger emphasis on sustainability and innovative agricultural practices such as hydroponics and aquaculture. Um, so again, in different uh, points in time, you did have that narrator at the front of the boat, right? And um, that was living with the land in its early years, I believe. So uh, it, living with the land has had kind of an evolution itself. Um, probably more radical almost than, say, um, changing from listen to the land. Uh, so... I do have to say, I never wrote it with that listen to the land when it had the song and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I I have heard the song many times from old mm-hmm. recordings and stuff, and that too is such a catchy song, you know? Like, I think back then the Sherman brothers were still writing a lot of these songs. And I think they might've even wrote that one. Like they, they wrote so many of these uh, early Epcot ones that really stuck in your head too. Yes, absolutely. And I did write it in those early years, um, shortly after Epcot opened in 1983. And then again, uh, and I think it was probably 85 or 86 I went back. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I remember that because of that song being so catchy. And actually, even as a kid, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, that, that, that entire greenhouse and everything that was going on. Yeah, I never heard it as a kid. But I, I still like as an adult, like the first time I heard it, I don't think it's copyrighted, but it has that... Uh... It starts out with make believe you're a tiny little seed reaching mm-hmm. up to, to meet your needs or something like that. But anyway, I I I always thought it's such a creative song. You know, I wish they'd use that somewhere. Um, 
I feel like they used it on the projection for uh, Beacons of Magic re recently for the 40th uh, anniversary. They used yeah. it there for a little bit. So they do pull it out once in a while out of the archives. And I think they also use it. Uh, you can hear tones of it in Epcot Forever, right? I mean, you, you hear bits and pieces of oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from there, I think you can. But again, that's just temporary. But Yeah, right. Um, so let's talk real briefly about the ride itself. Um, listen to the land, the, the original, um, had more of an educational focus. That's really what it was driven as with most of early Epcot. It had a scientific and educational focus and believe it or not, John, even though they were using the greenhouses um, to partner with scientists and farmers and other people, they didn't have the lab that is currently in there right now. Um, that was added with living with the land. Um, when they transitioned to living with the land, it became a multifaceted attraction. It, it not only covered education, it covered the, it started to emphasize more the sustainability of um, hydroponics and aquaculture and vertical farming, but it also um, tried to be more entertaining and inspirational for guests, you know, um, trying to relate different things to the guests, putting um, uh, different uh, uh, like signs up so the guests might recognize certain types of fruit or vegetables that they they know in their daily lives. Um, and also living with the land was relevant to the themes of Epcot. It aligned closely with Epcot's themes of technology, innovation, and a vision for a better future. So in essence, they they updated living with the land and it improved upon the original vision of the theme park. Imagine that, John, an improvement. Improved. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. You mean <laughs> you mean make worse? Yeah, sure. <laughs> or, uh, no, you mean better. Yeah. I don't I don't like Guardians, that 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 was an improvement. All right. Oh well, yeah. Well sometimes yeah. it's hard for me to understand what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So Eventually, um, Food Rocks was closed and it was replaced with Soren um, over California. Uh, I'm not going to get into what Soren over California is. Everyone knows what, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Soren is. Um, but in 2012, uh, or yeah, I'm sorry, in 2004, that's when that was replaced by Soren. In 2012, Living with the Land was refurbished and updated with new exhibits and information. In 2018, the Circle of Life and Environmental uh, Fable was closed and replaced with Awesome Planet, a the current uh, movie in the theater there. And it is a 12-minute film that celebrates the beauty and diversity of the planet and beats yeah. you over the head for ruining your Earth. I never saw the first one. <clears throat> But out of the two, I I I think Awesome Planet. It, it's very, it looks nice, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, it's not really that exciting. Once you see it once, I'm kind of like, you know, I was walking by it the other day. The park was crowded. It was coming on in two minutes, and I was like, yeah, I'll just nah. I it it doesn't have the rewatchability for me, so. 
again, uh, nothing against the the planet or anything, but just not. Yeah, it's not as entertaining. It, it's one of those weird situations where maybe the IP part of it was so much better, you know? Well, I actually like the guy who does it, the guy who plays Phil Dumfries. Me, me too. That, that show, like, I, I, I thought, you know, I like him a lot, but it just, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Like I said, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. I was like, ah, oh, that was, uh, you know, pretty to see, but. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I liked the uh, previous movie a lot better. I don't remember the original film there. I know I would have saw it, but I just don't recall the uh, film itself. Um, let's talk a little bit about Soren. Uh, like we like I said, it replaced the um, the show that was there, the Food Rock show. Um, Soren over California opened May 5th, 2005. Uh, in 2015, the ride's projection system was upgraded to a laser illuminated digital projection array. This resulted in a sharper and more realistic image. In 2016, the ride was renamed and redone. The film was redone uh, to Soren around the world. And it included new destinations such as the Taj Mahal, the Great Barrier Reef, and the Matterhorn. Uh, In 2003, this year, just about, what, maybe a month ago, um, they brought back Soarin' Over California and um, brought that back for a limited time as part of the Disney 100 Years of Wonder celebration. Now, personally, John, I think most people will admit that the California ride is or the California attraction is better the smells are better the you know at least the timing of the smells let's say that I love when you're catching the the smells right here on this scene you're catching the smells of the woods and um, the evergreens as you're floating over top of the river there in California uh, you know, and of course you have the orange grove scene, which everyone talks about, um, that, that has the just awesome smells. Yeah, it was nice to have the orange scene back, but <clears throat> I can tell you that it doesn't, the film itself looks a little bit less clear than yeah. the world one. Like it's just not quite, but again, I still like Soren over California more than, more than, uh, over the world so yeah i mean it it has to do with cg and what looks real and what doesn't right i mean this is shaky and it kind of looks like a real world film a real you know real world environment whereas the the around the world is all like computer generation and stuff like that and and look the the scene with um you know from paris the tower the eiffel tower it bends you know up the screen it's just terrible yeah yeah i i would say i i feel like they should do more with this stuff like i said i prefer soren over california um the world is nice though too but i feel like since it's movie based they should always be trying to I don't like things to change a lot everywhere else, but since this is screen-based and you're basically just moving around, 
I think this is the perfect opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, make more, keep people coming back without spending a huge amount of money. I know these films aren't cheap, but with the amount of CGI they used in the other one, I mean, they could even do it, tie it in with movies. You could have, you know, when Black Panther came out, they could have said soaring over Wakanda and just use some of the CGI and you're soaring over a fictional city. And it's like, oh, look, who I just saw somebody go by that I write. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just one of the theaters. Like, keep it. There's three theaters. I agree. Normal. Maybe make one a uh, special one to uh, push your products. And again, I don't like pushing products, but if Disney really wants to do that, then that's something they might actually, you know, it could be cool. And you know what I noticed too? And here's one more thing. When I bought a 3D TV years ago, I know they're not that popular now, but the Disney cartoon 3D movies were the best ones on there for some reason. Just perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought they looked great. Imagine, and I can't think of any new, well, how about, I don't I don't know what's going on in this, but imagine soaring through, or how about soaring through Moana? Yeah. Moana's village and the island and the water and you could see the gods and man people would love that and they already spend so much money on cgi put a little extra something in there and again i know it's the opposite of what i usually say about epcot and stuff but they're they're not going to do what i want anyway so you might as well that's pretty creative it's just the screen one out of three you know it's an awesome point though i mean look they could do soaring out of California, soaring over California on one screen, uh, soaring around the world on another screen, and something else on a different screen. And look, the thing is, it's not unprecedented. Um, they do something similar with another attraction called Star Tours, you know? So you can you can do, like, randomization of things like that. I don't understand why it, you know... It, People aren't going to care. People will just, you know, they'll ride it regardless. So probably even ride it more. I, I would find it interesting. So, yeah. you know, and again, that's the kind of thing that I might complain about normally, but yeah. you know, if they're going to go in that direction, which they are like Epcot is filled with IP now. I think that'd be pretty cool. Let's soar through some of our, some of Disney's fictional worlds. So. Yeah. And again, just one screen is good. One out of three. Mm-hmm. And that'll keep people coming back too. Like people would be excited to see that. I know I'd, I'd probably ride it a lot more often. So sure. Just a thought. Yeah. I, I think it's a good thought. Um, so just a few behind the scenes uh, insights. Um, the pavilion's greenhouses are home to over 400 different types of plants from all over the world. The pavilion's hydroponic system uses 90% less water than traditional farming methods. Its aquaculture system raises fish in a closed loop system, which reduces pollution and conserves resources. The aeroponic system grows plants without soil using a mist of nutrients instead. And if you, you know, if you've rode the, the, uh, living with the land plenty of times, you see those things moving around with the mist, you know, um, saturating the plants. I, I just, I love that. Um, what a cool method. Uh, 
The Living with the Land boat ride is over 1,500 feet long and takes guests on a journey through four different ecosystems, a temperate rainforest, a desert, a temperate climate, and a future farm. The pavilion's Soarin' Around the World attraction uses a 180-degree wraparound screen and simulated hang gliding vehicle to give guests the feeling of flying over iconic landmarks around the globe, which we just saw in your video, John. Only we saw the better version, California. All right, and so in closing, I just wanted to... Uh, talk a little bit about the Imagineers that were involved in this. And you'll probably have something to say about this too, because of the event you just recently, uh, you know, attended, but, uh, to give an idea as to who the key figures were in creating this pavilion, uh, some of the names that you might recognize Don Iwerks, who was related to uh, Ub Iwerks, the original cartoonist for Walt Disney. He was an Imagineer and special effects designer, and he was quoted as saying, we wanted to create a pavilion that would be both entertaining and educational and that would inspire people to care about the land and its resources. Uh, John Hench was another person involved that most people have heard of that know of Imagineering. Um, he was a concept designer. Uh, Mark Davis, Imagineer and character designer, quoted as saying, The Land Pavilion is one of my favorite projects because it celebrates the beauty and diversity of our planet. It's a place where people can come to learn about the importance of agriculture conservation and environmental stewardship. Mark Day or Marvin Davis, uh, Imagineer ride designer, said the Land Pavilion was one of the most challenging projects we ever worked on, but it was also one of the most rewarding. We were able to create something truly special, and it's been gratifying to see how much it meant to people over the years. Uh, Bill Evans, who was an Imagineer and designer, the Land Pavilion is a testament to the power of imagination and creativity. We were able to take a complex and important subject matter and make it accessible and engaging for people of all ages. John, I put these quotes together and found these quotes because I want people to understand or would like people to understand that this is, these are the things that the Imagineers used to think about. You know, they used to think about <laughs> entertainment, education, um, innovation creativity uh you know how if something's complex do we not do it if it's going to cost a certain amount of money do we turn away uh, i know i spent like i said that 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 weekend at retro wdw hearing about the processes and the thoughts and mm -hmm. And, and these guys, you know, the amount of time, effort, and thought they put into this, this wasn't a job to them. It was, uh, all of this stuff was, was very, very, very serious to them, you know? This yeah, it's a passion, time. right? And yeah. I did hear lots of stories about all those guys, about John Hench and all the, they'd even bring up pictures of guys and, you know, they, they had loads of stories about, about all those guys, the, the uh, very famous Imagineers that were involved. I think by the time Epcot came around, a lot of the guys who actually worked with Walt and stuff, they were still around, but they were like as high up as you can get at that point because Walt's gone. It's like you got his uh, his uh, nine old men were the only people left. So that's the that was the new 
top guys you know mm-hmm. so they would they'd they'd be all over the place well well speaking of one of the guys that you actually got to see and speaking of some of those old imagineers bob Gurr was also involved in the creation of the land pavilion and he was the an imagineer and ride designer uh around the attraction and he is quoted as saying the land pavilion is a place where people can come to learn about the world around them and to be inspired inspired to make a difference it's a place of hope and possibility Mm. now he what's really cool about that is that you and i talk about what disney used to do when talking about the future and talking about they they gave you know they talked about the future as being a place of hope and possibility and bob gurr just said it right there captured it perfectly it's a place of hope and possibility one other thing out there's a cup there's a list of other imagineers um most people probably would have never heard of most of them and they don't have quotes but one thing is true with epcot when epcot was being designed and created they disney brought in uh ray bradbury and ray bradbury is a science fiction author and he was brought in as a consultant ray bradbury is one of the most famous science fiction uh writers of all time and in particular from i believe about the 50s or 60s on up to you know the 90s and then until his death um ray bradbury was one of the leading people when it came to science fiction thought and and fiction in of itself and disney he actually knew walt disney like in his later years walt disney befriended um ray bradbury and disney used to bring him in to consult on things and um they discussed epcot many many times in fact um walt brought ray bradbury in to consult about how epcot might work the the city concept and um so disney kept ray bradbury around to consult on all the attractions at epcot including the land pavilion so ray bradbury was also involved in consulting on the land pavilion i thought that was interesting yeah he was a part of a lot of the stories there and i didn't know that until like i said a couple weeks ago hearing it from the guys who were there about about how you know about ray bradbury being involved in all that too like him um because because there there were a couple guys there that were higher up as far as like designers go and they were working with ray bradbury like to design you know spaceship earth and all the Mm -hmm. future world stuff and all that yeah i i always found that fascinating like i remember reading that in um one of the Walt Disney, uh, Walt Disney, the man, one of the books about him a few years ago that, uh, Ray Bradbury had become such an important part of, you know, Epcot and, and Walt's, uh, imagine like how he was imagining things and trying to do things, you know? So, um, so that's pretty much what I got. I, I have a lot of other stuff that I could really launch into about sustainability and things like that. But I mean, we all kind of get it right. If you go to the, um, living with that, the land pavilion, that's brand new. they didn't have that back. In the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that, 1982, they did. 
in Epcot, they did. Um, and it's when sustainability actually really meant something. And it wasn't just a catchphrase or a virtue signal. It actually meant something in 1982 and when, when it, you know, became a part of this pavilion. So um, I've always found the, even as a kid, the uh, pavilion to be fascinating. I've loved it in all its forms. Um, I loved the shows with the kitchen cabaret and all that um, and food rocks. But I also have loved Soren over the years. So um, I, I don't really, I'm not disappointed with too much, too many of the things that have happened in the pavilion over the years. I, I think they've stayed pretty true to the mission there for the most part. Um, they did used to have like an atrium in the middle with waterfalls and things like that, maybe a little more natural. And now they've sacrificed that just to squeeze more bodies in for the restaurant there, the, the quick service restaurant. Um, so maybe that's not so good. It, it kind of makes it look like a cafeteria more than anything right there in the middle. But um, I, it's one of my favorite pavilions at Epcot, John. Yeah, me too. And it still is really good. And again, I'm not a big fan of that movie right now, but that'll change too. And, and it's not terrible. It's just, it's more of a, once every few years thing for me but soren is still great the the uh, sunshine seasons is great um the uh, garden grill is a great re restaurant the last time i ate there it was good it, it's one of the best character meals i think i agree and again just overall i love the land pavilion because you can go in there i've already had it where it's raining i go into mm. the land pavilion I watch the movie, I ride sore, and I go on the land, I get something to eat. It's like, you can hide out in there a long time. <laughs> yes, it's all can. in that nice building, and it's kind of cool that you can do that. I miss real pavilions like that. Um, so do I. Because, you know, like Imagination Pavilion, it is a pavilion, but it really is just like a gift shop and post-show area. It's not, there's not as much to do in there, you yeah. know, and like space uh mission space it's like gift it's, shop and, and there's playground. a good area it's like a playground in, but it's not terrible but i feel like the land and uh, wonders of life were the ones that you yes. could go in yep. and you could eat watch be entertained ride rides and just be within this big building there's a go in the dome and just you could be in there for hours so i uh Living with the land is one of them that's still like that, you know? I I totally agree. And I think that's a great way to uh, to take us out there, John, um, to just talk there a little bit about, you know, as you just did, that, that it is a pavilion. Like, it is set up as a pavilion. There are things to do in there and time to be spent. So, uh all right, John, uh, that should do it. Where can they find you online? You can find me at c.wdw on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and c.uo on Instagram and Facebook. All right, and you can find me at the giant rat, T-H-E-E giant rat, on all the socials, and that should do it for this one. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>